0: It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy, restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes—you've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the Money Guy. Welcome, everyone. It's May fifth, two thousand and six. It's a Friday today. Um, it's going to be a short day for me today. I'm coming in. Um, did some work here in the morning. Um, then I'm actually going out to enjoy some of our overcast weather here in, um, down here in Georgia uh, and playing a little golf. i, I got to tell you, uh, after tax season, I'm actually pleased to actually get to t- take a little time to go do that. So as you can imagine, I'm in a good mood. Plus, we've got some things to celebrate about. We have continued uh, to, from time to time, we do fall out, but we have continued to be in the top 25 um, on Business iTunes Podcast. And I want to thank you guys for continuing to come back and listen to our show And um, let us grow our numbers as well. Our subscribers is now topped 500. We're halfway there to that 1,000 number that I told you guys I was so interested in making in the near future. And y'all are a big part of that. I could not have done this without the support of my listeners. Your feedback on how we can improve the show um, you you have done so much to help us out in this journey and I just ask you to please continue one of the biggest things you can do for us since we're this is not a money making endeavor this is just to get the the free knowledge out there to the masses is please tell your friends, family, anybody that you can about the money guy dot com website and our podcast and um, put some comments out there on the iTunes too. We love getting those comments. It seems like every time we get a few more comments. Um, our listenership jumps up. I don't know how um, that that plays out through iTunes, but it does seem like it helps. Um, also, I've got uh, some listener email that I'm going to go over in a, in a few seconds, but I want to give myself some um, shameless plugging here. I am in this month's Newsweek magazine on page 49, and if you're wondering which Newsweek that is, it's the May 8, 2006 Newsweek that's on the stands now. Um, it's America's Best High Schools, the top 100. You can go look at that. But I'm actually on page 49, and Jane Bryant Quinn has an article on a guarantee cost you. And it's basically talking about these guaranteed income and death benefits and other items that are offered on a lot of these variable annuities and life insurance policies. What are you truly getting out of these type of products? Because uh, a lot of them will tell you they're going to – make sure they protect your beneficiaries or your initial investment uh, by not letting you be subject to the market risk and volatility. But what I told um, the interviewer and and what you'll see in here is that if you go look at the historical performance of the Treasury marketplace, the bond marketplace, as well as the S&P 500, I think you'll find that through any 10-year period going all the way back to the 60s, really there is no guarantee they're offering you because all of those portfolios – make money on a 10-year span. So that's one of the things that you'll see in the article and I I just uh, I'm so thankful that I made that article and I've got a few more in the works. Um, I know I'm going to be in the upcoming issue of medical economics on some stuff and we've got some awards we've been nominated for um, but I'm not willing to brag on those yet until we actually find out if we made it through the process. We've just been nominated at this point but pretty exciting stuff um, here for me. You remember this is not my full-time job. I am a, a a fee-only wealth manager by day. This is just kind of a hobby just to get the information out to the people that um, I, unfortunately, am not able to work with. Um, the firm I'm with is Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. We have offices down here on the south side of Atlanta as well as an office up in Augusta with my partner, Bill Cleveland. But thank you so much for um, continuing to listen. If you did want to check out our, our website for my firm, and see some of the other media magazines and, and other areas we've been li- listed out publicly, you can go to our website, which is Preston-Cleveland.com. Um, I, feel free to go out there and check it out and tell us what you think. But let's, um, let's talk about some of the, the listener email. If you're, if you're just tuning in for the first time, um, what way we work this is I, I usually go through a few articles or listener emails and then I get into the financial chaos topic, something that can hopefully help make your life a little bit easier on handling your own personal finances. And today's financial chaos topic is going to be on the importance of wills and estate planning. Now, you hear that, and you're probably like, oh, no. Here's one of those boring death discussions that I just don't want to be a part of. And I'll tell you, my personally, I have um, issues with death myself. I'm not a big fan of... um you know, when relatives get sick or, or anything like that, it's just, it's one of those hard times. So I'm going to try to make this as light as possible because I'm a pretty lighthearted type guy, I've got a good sense of humor, and we're going to make this as easy as possible. But it is important. This is the most, one of the most important things you can do when you're looking at your finances. But before we get into that heavy stuff, let's talk about some of these listener emails. I got an email. Now, this gentleman didn't give me his full name. I've got his email address, and I'm assuming um, you know, I've got his initials with his last name. I'm not going to give his last name. But he's a 42-year-old, and he wrote me, um, and he has about $100,000 invested. And 80,000 of it is invested in 90 individual stocks, and he wanted to know what my thoughts were on that if he was over-diversified. And I'll tell you, this is one of the big concerns I have about individual investors buying individual stocks is hundred thousand dollars is a nice thing that you've accomplished by saving that much money but I will tell you that you probably got eaten alive on trading costs. I know you probably went you, know, you did state that you went through a discount broker but even with discount brokers you're probably still paying ticket charges to do those trades of you know somewhere in the neighborhood of nine to twenty dollars a trade. and if you think about it, you're only buying 10 15 20 shares at most, I don't truly think you are, you're diversified enough. You know, I know it sounds like you have a ton of stocks at 90, but I guarantee if you put them into Morningstar um, research software or go, went onto their website at morningstar.com, you'd find that there's a lot of overlap with the investments because the ones that you told me were your top holdings, which were GE, Walmart, Citicorp, um, ExxonMobil and Google, those are all large cap stocks. I don't see much exposure to the small cap marketplace, which has done very well in the last five to six years. I don't see any exposure to international, which especially in some of the, the South America and Asian areas, there um, we're seeing explosive growth and it doesn't sound like you have much exposure there. So I would strongly caution you to be careful with individual stocks. I think you'd be much more better served if you bought index funds for the large cap side um, and then move down to some good managers on the small cap as well as international because I think there is a case to be made that managers typically do beat their benchmarks when you look at the small cap and international marketplaces because those are inefficient marketplaces whereas large cap like the S&P 500 um, you'll find that the index fund typically beats most managers out there so that's some um, some real quick advice I can give you but Continue to please keep saving. That's one of the most important things you can do. I just caution you on buying those individual stocks. Um, The next um, email that I got was from Taylor. Taylor actually is here in Atlanta. And what's funny is if you all remember, I had a guest host, one of my good friends and fellow CPA. Brandon Verner came in and helped me out with a tax episode. We talked about some tax planning you could do as before you prepared your taxes for this past year. And what's funny is Taylor is in the same building as um, my friend Brandon. So it's a small world. Um, I forwarded this email up to Brandon and, and just told him that we have listeners all over the place. So, Taylor, I appreciate you um, sending this to me. Um, I got a kick out of it. But you, you gave me some nice compliments in here. But then the last paragraph I just wanted to, to bring up. You said, okay, now on to my question. And then you said, with the wealth of information that is available today via podcasts, RSS feeds, the Internet, what is the point of hiring a financial planner? I remember you saying that once those prospects reach a point where they can afford fee-only minimums, you're happy to have them walk through your door. What's the point? of someone who is doing a good job at building their assets and index funds and who will most likely move into more advanced investing to hire a financial planner. This is an outstanding question, Taylor. And I think that this is one of those things that because I'm in this industry, I didn't think, um, you know, people were asking this, but this is, this is a point that, that maybe I haven't made well enough. And so I want to give you a few of the reasons I think that people do hire. Fee only advisors, you know, to help with their wealth and their planning needs. The first thing is it's it's hard to be an expert at everything. Um, I'll I'll tell you, you probably could learn how to bake your own bread. I know they got these great bread makers these days, but um, it takes a lot of time and effort to learn how to make a good batch of bread, whereas sometimes it's just easier to go buy that bread at the grocery store because it seems like they, um, you know, they're all the same size, same shape, same taste. So somebody's an expert at a bread maker, whereas you might be a novice just learning how to do it. I know that's not the perfect example, but it's the same thing with working on your car. I grew up in a family where my dad was kind of a um, do-it-yourself on all car repairs. We used to buy, I remember, my dad must have had four to five different Aerostar vans. Those are those ugly Ford minivans. No offense to any Ford people out there, but they were ugly. That The first commercials that came out, I think, compared them to the the, the shape of the space shuttle. So they were very ugly minivans, but my father kept buying them because it was very easy for him to work on them. He got used to working on them, and I just think that that's insane um, to do all this taking care of and working on yourself when sometimes it's easier just to hire an expert to do it for you. That's what the majority of us do take our cars to get professional mechanics to look at them. Um, but once again, it's hard to be an expert at everything. There's also... Let's face it, this is your financial future. This is the, the independence of your life based upon how much you've saved, and this has got to last forever. So it's kind of hard to get to a point where you've built up a ton of wealth. I do agree with you that probably at the lower levels you can do everything on your own, but once you get to a certain level, you're probably going to want somebody to look over your shoulder and essentially prove what you've done and make sure that you are following a good plan of action. So that's one thing is that you've got somebody looking over your shoulder, help you, guide you through the financial marketplace that has experience in this. And that experience, I think, is priceless because I know if you'd have gotten a hold of me the first two to three years I was managing money, you're not getting the same quality you're getting now because there is a level of experience that comes from managing people's complete net worth. Um, also, I want to talk to you about the restrictions on entry to certain investments for the general public. Unfortunately, the way this marketplace is set up, sure, you can get into great index funds, mutual funds, and other things like that, but you do get to a point, even in mutual funds, where you have limitations. I'll give you a good example. I like buying an intermediate bond fund called the PIMCO Total Return Fund, and it is managed by a gentleman by the name of Bill Gross. And if anybody knows, Bill Gross is very similar to... Warren Buffett, except for Warren Buffett, is the equity master. You know, whenever Warren Buffett talks about the equity markets, the markets move just because of what he says. Well, Bill Gross is the exact same thing, except for on the bond side. I think it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whenever he says something, the market, the bond markets react. He's just that well-known and that good of a manager. If you ever look at the Morningstar printout and look at how he compares to his peers, he is constantly in the... Top performers within his um, peers of other bond funds within the inter- intermediate um, area of investment. So, the thing, but the only way you can get into Bill's funds is through buying Pimco as a commission-based fund company. They have A, B, and C shares. Well, if you bought the A share, you go pay a front-end sales commission of 3.75%. You go then pay a trailing fee, meaning a commission every year of 0.25% or a quarter percent. And then you've got internal operating expenses of 0.9%. So you can see how those expenses add up quite quickly. So Bill's doing a great job, um, worth every penny, but you have to pay a lot of money to get into his fund. Well, me, because I'm an institutional advisor, I can, I'm able to buy into the PIMCO Total Return Institutional Fund. Which has a five million dollar minimum investment, but because I have quite a few clients and we're able to pull our assets, we can get into these funds. You pay no sales commissions uh, when I buy the institutional shares, and the internal expense drops from that 0.9 or close to one percent down to 0.43. So it's it's more than half the price of that that normal fund. So these are the things that are important, you know, that I think that that most people don't have access. Also let's talk about soft closed funds. You often hear about great funds closing down. you probably heard that, um, you know, recently one that happened is, you know, the Fidelity Contra Fund is closing down to new investors. But I'll tell you where I see it more often is in good small cap investments. You know, when you're buying small companies, good ones will close their doors quite quickly because they don't want to get too big because then it's hard to go out and buy good companies. So what you'll see is they'll close their door to new investors. Well, you know, most things, if you're already in the door, they'll they'll let you keep buying investments through them. It's considered what's called a soft close. Well, because I'm an institutional advisor, my clients and a lot of the funds that I use that are soft close, I'm able to buy them in, even for new clients, um, and they would not be able to do that on the street. So I think that's a tremendous advantage when you combine buy into some of these small cap and international funds that are not open to the public anymore. And then last is just your access to private equity. Um, private real estate and private hedge fund and market neutral strategy deals you're just not going to be able to get to do those things unless you're going through a professional so why not go through these complicated markets with um, a professional advisor now the last thing I just want to tell you about this whole thing and I don't want you to think I'm defensive or I just want you to kind of know my true thoughts on why you need a planner is that I have found from working with very successful people is that many, many people are great earners but just because you're a great earner of income does not mean that you're necessarily a great manager of wealth. You see a lot of people that are very busy and to earn that income, they usually work all the time and maybe they don't do a good enough job of focusing on their personal finances and that's where I can step in and help them out. I mean, you heard the, the last few podcasts. I think I earned my fee, um, tenfold because, you know, I help them out with buying cars, researching them, uh, making sure they're getting the best deal on their property and casualty insurance, you know, on their homeowners as well as automobile policies. I, you know, I try to help them out with every facet of their financial life, which is very important and really gives a lot of peace of mind. So I hope that helps out, Taylor. Please continue to listen, and I appreciate your input. Um, the last comment I just want to discuss is um, I got picked on a little bit on one of the comments. You can see this comment out there on the website by Jim. Um, Jim put this out there on May 3rd, so not just a few days ago, but he was kind of mad at me. I'm going to read this to you. I don't think he's too mad at me because he actually gave me a few compliments, but he says, I think it is amazing that you're pounding on the car salespeople so badly. Do you think there is no other value they provide besides delivering the car? I am not a car salesperson, but think about this. What if you have trouble with your new car? How likely are you to get good follow-up service? You beat them up with what you bought the vehicle. How much is it worth to get your car messed by the service guys because you pounded on the sales team? People don't get what they expect. They get what they deserve. I am always careful on how I treat others, especially salespeople, as I may never know when I might need their help. Now, Jim, I, I hope I didn't give you the wrong impression. I just try to equip you guys with the best tools possible to save as much money as you can and really work the system to know how not to be a victim of the system, but really to be an educated consumer and get the best deals. And this is one of the things I, I think I might have led you astray on. I tried. I hope you can see this in the podcast. I really do try to convey my personality through here, but uh, I promise you, I try to kill everybody with kindness. Um, I do, you know, if I ever have any problem with credit card companies, um, I'll tell you a recent event. I had trouble with Dish Network with my, you know, with my my satellite service. I Whenever I call any customer support, I kill them with kindness because, um, you know, I'll let them know how upset I am, but I never direct it at the person who's on the other line of that phone, you know, because I just think that you can get a lot more with sugar than you can with the the bitter taste of um, being mean to somebody. So I, I will tell you that the salesperson that I bought my Toyota Highlander from, I think if, um I don't even know if he'd still remember me at this point, but I think he'd be very pleased because what I do when I really like what somebody does for me, I refer on more business. And I'll tell you, a week after I bought my car, I actually bought a client of mine, a brand new Toyota Avalon at that exact same dealership from the exact same salesperson because I found Josh. Up there in the Ackworth Toyota dealership, if anybody's looking for a great place to go, go visit Josh up there. I don't, like I said, I don't know if he'd still remember me, but he did a great job. He was completely upfront with me. He didn't try to slip any of those crazy fees on there at the end. And um, I rewarded him by sending him additional business. And that's what I hope everybody can hold that standard to: is if you see good work, reward it by sending more people to him. Now, that's for the the concern about being treated poorly by the service departments because of the way we were able to get a great deal on buying the car. I'm not so concerned about that, especially being in a in a, a large metropolitan city area. Um, most of the dealerships around here are huge dealerships. And from my experience, I don't think a lot of the service people are necessarily hanging out with the salespeople. It seems like they're, you know, they kind of hang in their own little circles. So I once again kill the service guys with kindness whenever I go get my car worked on, even though I will tell you Toyota Highlander have yet to take it to the dealership because haven't had any problem with it so um, hasn't been much of an issue but I did want to make sure that Jim didn't think that I was out there beating people up um, over price and then not appreciating what they do I just cannot stand to pay people um, for something that I don't think is warranted I'm always trying to get the best deal I, I don't want to be um, that victim of any type of sales transactions or anything, where I feel like they walk out of there smiling because they knew they took advantage of something. I always want to get the best deal possible, and that's just one of my my character issues. Um, you, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's one of the things that makes me effective with my clients. But I did want to address that. Um, I've got some things. You know, I, I'll bring them up in later podcasts. I'll tell you I'm pleased with. Um, I have a credit card. Just giving you some things out there. You know, one of the tight wad tips. I've got a Chase Rewards credit card. It's a cash credit card. Remember, I, I'm one of those people who uses credit cards, but I pay off the full balance every month. And I am super tickled with this Chase Rewards card. It's called Cash Rewards Plus. Um, it pays me 5% on all grocery, gas, as well as drugstore purchases. And that is tremendous if you think about because that's probably what me and my wife spend most on our personally is our groceries and gas, especially with the way gas prices have been at the pump recently. So to get 5% back on all that has just been tremendous. And I was a little skeptical when I signed up but um it has been tremendous, so I just want to throw that those kudos out there real quick because whenever I find something good, I want to let you guys know. But it's called the Cash Rewards Plus. They have two different versions, by the way. If you do go on the Internet and start researching or you call the 1-800 number at Chase. Remember, I have no affiliation. I'm just giving you the scoop. Get nothing for telling you this. But um they have a 35,000-point cap and then a 70,000-point cap. If you have good credit, they'll give you the 70,000-point cap, and that's what I'd recommend because... If you're like me and buy everything with credit card and pay it off, you can run up those those points really quick. So that's just a little tip out there. Go out there and try to maximize that money as much as possible. Now, let's jump right into this financial chaos topic. Remember, this topic today is the importance of wills and estate planning. And I want to give a quick disclaimer. Now, we're not going to go super deep on this issue because I'll tell you, every state has different rules. Or I shouldn't say every state, but states differ. Um, on how they handle your assets after you pass away. Every state has, you know, the way there's some variance in the way things are. So we have to be careful because I'm very familiar with the way the laws are here in Georgia, but they might not be exactly the same in your state. But, however, we will be able to give you some tremendous tips that, that apply to pretty much everybody. So um, the first thing, when you hear anyone discuss estate planning, one of the first things you think of are, are, are wills. And that's for a good reason, you know, because wills help out with, if you think about it, they help with funeral arrangements. They help also with, you know, disposing of the property, of all your property. Not all of it. I'll get into some examples and exceptions in the future, but they do help you dispose of a lot of your property. They also help you name a guardian for your minor children. And then they um, help you you name your executor or the person that's going to administer um the disposition of your estate so that's that's very important stuff but i first need to equip you You probably hear a lot of words um all the time and you're trying to figure out what they mean and you're you know and it's most of us we have this pride issue that doesn't allow us to ask questions when we don't know what a word means so i'm going to one of the things when you hear the word dying testate all that means in simple terms is that you died with you passed away with a will when you die or pass away intestate, that means you didn't have a will. That's one of the things um, that I think uh, you you hear that terminology a lot when you hear estate planning discussed, or you hear the the attorney mention that, and you go, well, you know, I guess that's what that means. But I just want to give you some quick definitions. Um, I also want to encourage you, please, 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 have a will if you have children. This is one of the biggest things I, I work with these successful people, they come to me, and you'd be surprised at how many wealthy people come in the door, you know, they're usually business owners, um, that have made their wealth, and they don't have wills. I, I, I know that sounds insane to say that, but I have seen it time and time again. Or you see professionals who might not be right at the point of needing or having a, a wealth manager, but, you know, are making a great income and are providing wealth for their families, and then they don't have wills either, and that that is just, it scares me, because if you pass away without a will, your child is really held up to the court, you know, on who's going to take care of them, and I'll tell you, the court will probably award custody of your children to the nearest available relative. Well, I love all my relatives. Uh, I don't know if any of them are listening to the podcast. I haven't gotten the word out to all my relatives, but... Um, that, you know, you you just want to make sure that who you have taking care of your children is truly who you want to have taking care of your children and not necessarily the nearest relative. So I think there's a lot of consideration that needs to go into that. And then whoever you determine will be the best guardian for your children, you also need to go ahead and, and, and have a talk with them about that awesome responsibility that you want them to take on if something should ever happen to you. Um, if you think about it, if you just... Put somebody's name down, and then something should happen to you. What happens if they don't agree to do it? You're right back to the same situation where probably the court's going to have to get involved in determining who the nearest relative is. So make sure you go approach those people to make sure that they want that responsibility of taking care of your children. This is definitely one of the biggest responsibilities out there and one that you really can't take lightly. So go look at that. Now that I've given you, I've kind of shamed you into feeling like you have to have a will, and you do have to have a will if you have children. I think it's that imperative that you do that. Uh, let me tell you what a will is. A will is just a legal document that must comply with certain state laws. And although wills will da- vary from state to state, they do have a few items in common. And uh, let me go over those real quick with you. A will should generally be typed up. Some some areas will allow you to have handwritten um Wills, but I don't think that's necessarily the best thing because it opens you up to to have them contested or they could be, um, you know, fabricated. There, there's a lot of issues, so make sure go ahead and get a will typed up. Um, the person making the will must be clearly identified. You must clearly state that this is your will and that you're revoking all the previous made wills. You're also at least 18 years of age, and here's that that cliche and the, the thing you hear in all movies that you're sound mind and body at the time that the will is made, and then the will must be signed and dated. And generally, they must be witnessed by at least two people. And it's not uncommon to see at least three people because if you do pass away when it goes through probate, pro- the probate process, they will go try to verify through those those witnesses um, that this person really this was their will. So if you have the more witnesses you have, the more likelihood, just in case this is an older document and, and your witnesses have passed away, it's better to have more So you can find a living witness. Um, Let's talk about the limitations of wills. I would, if given the choice, and you are given the choice, and I'm going to name these assets for you, you really want your assets to pass directly and automatically at death. You don't want to go through, because wills go through what's called probate. And if you can avoid that with your assets, I would prefer you to do that because there is a cost to go through probate, and it varies by state, but there's also a time issue because it takes time to get your your, your will probated and then the distribution of your assets, whereas sometimes you can um, do things through what's called direct beneficiary designations. And these beneficiary designations are in a lot of common uses, and this is where you need to make sure that you know that your will does not supersede these documents It's whatever is listed on these beneficiary designations. And you have beneficiary designations on your life insurance policies, on your 401ks, IRAs, and other retirement accounts, on living trusts, pay on death accounts, as well as property held jointly with rights of survivorship. And most people own their houses with rights of survivorship. So if you passed away, your spouse or whoever you bought that property with, if it was with rights of survivorship, is going to inherit that land automatically. So that's one thing. Uh, if you if you don't want it to be that way because you want that property split up, say it's um two people buy a piece of property, a vacation home, two families, and it's done in, with rights of survivorship, that's not the most beneficial thing. You might want to consider tenants in common or some other way to, to title that property. That's, that's a completely different financial chaos topic, but I wanted to throw that out there. But remember, your will will not impact these items, these beneficiary designations, um you know come for first and foremost and i'll tell you they're easy they're much easier to pass a- the assets through these beneficiary designations than through the will um i've i've unfortunately experienced several clients passing away um as well as my own, you know my own father so i know it is much easier to um transfer these assets through the beneficiary designation cuz usually all you have to show is just that document where the original beneficiary designation was made on the account statement and application and then fax, I mean, and then send that in with a, a, a certified death certificate and the assets usually transfer with no trouble. Whereas when you go through the probate issue, you have to get the letters of testamentary and, and other issues and it takes a little time to do that. So it adds a little more time and delays the process, but it can be done. Now let me also say, usually when you do these beneficiary designations, everybody will name their spouse and that's fine on the first one, but I always see on IRA applications when it comes to contingent beneficiary that's what hap- that's what it goes to if you or the first person you named has passed away who do you want to inherit it next a lot of times people leave that contingent beneficiary left blank that is a no-no please fill that out because then it's going to go back to the estate and if it's retirement accounts like 401k's and IRAs that could be a tax nightmare because there's some definitely some tax advantages to have the money pass through the beneficiary designation versus passing um, going back through your estate if there's nobody named as a beneficiary on those retirement accounts. Um, also, before, wrapping up this podcast, I wanted to give you some other consideration for wills. This is more complex stuff, but most people, when they think of wills, they think that they're going to help you avoid all the taxes. Now, there's a big misconception about the estate taxes out there. You're not going to have estate taxes unless your individual assets in 2006 are worth more than $2 million. And that's your exemption. That's your credit shelter amount that that, that the government allows you to have without being taxed by, you know, subject to that death tax or estate tax, um, whatever we're calling it this week. But And that number is going up. Right now it's $2 million. Last year it was $1.5 million, but this year it's $2 million in 2006. It's growing in stages And by 2009, it's actually going to be $3.5 million per person. You're not required to file an estate tax return that's Form 706 unless your estate is worth more than that $2 million. Now, there's a few other things. If you do a lot of gifting and other things, you might still be required to file. But in general, if your estate's worth less than $2 million, you don't have to file that estate tax return. But if you do have uh, an estate that's worth more, you probably need to set up some of these provisions. You need to set up a credit shelter trust or a bypass trust within your will. Um, This trust, through this process, you can transfer up to $2 million, remember that's where we are currently, to any beneficiary without paying any estate tax. Now, this is tremendous. The the trust is designed to bypass your your spouse's taxable estate while still providing for your spouse's support because you can still, even though... You're going to have this $2 million go into trust. Your spouse is going to be able to get health, education, maintenance, and support from this trust while out there. So they can essentially take the income for their life and then um, not still pay the estate tax. So it's a tremendous planning tool. There's also, with some of the sophisticated family structures we have out there with the divorces um, and multiple marriages with children from several marriages, it's not uncommon to see um, what's called a Q-tip trust, and that's Qualified Terminable interest, tru- interest Property Trust. This type of trust is created to take advantage of specific estate tax advantages for married couples. Under a Q-tip trust, the deceased spouse can leave their property in a trust fund, providing income for the surviving spouse as long as they are alive, and at their death, the remaining interest in the trust goes to whomever, whoever the original deceased spouse chooses. So that's is a very good tool for complicated family structures, um, so that you can make sure everybody's taken care of. The last thing I want to talk to you about was, this is a personal thing of mine. I told you I've already shamed you into into knowing that you've got to get wills if you have children, but I also want to tell you about the the importance of making sure you think about what happens to you if you have young children, and if you do have a decent level of assets. One of my biggest concerns is with life insurance and and business interests and other things is if me and my wife passed away, where, how would the assets be distributed to our daughter? It concerns me for her to inherit a lot of money at age 18. You know, if you think about if you inherited two or three million dollars at age 18, what would you have done? Most of us would have probably gone and bought that Porsche, Ferrari, Mercedes, and then bought a big house because we've all watched MTV Cribs one too many times and wasted most of that money that could have been the opportunity to provide for the rest of your life and provide you the opportunity to go do business ventures, get the education that you need. There's a lot of things that at 18 we don't think about. I mean, let's face it, when we're 18, it's all about we think we're going to live forever, and life just seems like it's fun and easy, and we're going to do whatever we can. Well, that concerned me. So I know in my own personal will, and this is something advice I'd give you if you have minor children as well, and you do have a decent level of assets saved up, is I put some age provisions in there. I know at age 22 or college graduation, whichever comes first, my daughter will get 25% of her assets. And then at age 26, there's another 25% distribution in case... um, my wife and I have passed away. This is the way the trust is structured. And then I've got it structured where at age 30, um, she will get the remaining assets. And I think that's important because you kind of make sure that the the trust grows. Now, of course, there's going to be a trustee that will be able to issue out cash and income for taking care of, once again, that health, education, maintenance, and support for um, whatever the surviving children need, but it does not allow them to have complete access to it until they get to an age where they can probably handle it a little bit more responsibly. So these are important things that I think you really need to think about when you're estate planning, and just please, if I can't say it enough, if you have children, Go get a will, and you don't have to go buy an expensive will and go through an attorney and spend a ton of money. There's a lot of software applications out there. Now, if you do have some assets, I would strongly encourage you to go use an attorney, but you can work it um, many other ways. It's just imperative that you do it, and go ahead and talk to that guardian, that friend, that family member, and make sure that they're willing to take that awesome responsibility. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm about to head out, take advantage of this great weather we have down here in the south and our warm Period that we're getting into, but not too, you know, not too much humidity yet. But I want to thank you for tuning in. Please email me if you have any questions or comments, jbp at preston-cleveland.com, and please check us out over at money-guy.com. Once again, thank you so much for listening. May God bless you with future wealth, good health, family, and friends. Until next time.